Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Dr. Diane here, and welcome to another episode. Now, you might be wondering, why the heck am I doing an episode on bread? Well, bread as a food has been considered the great sustainer since the beginning of civilization and has been key to human survival cross-culturally. In some faiths, bread is considered the nourishment from God. We can find references in the symbolism of bread in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were freed from their bondage in Egypt. And as they had no time to make leavened bread, they made flatbread, which came to represent the celebration of Passover in the Jewish tradition. And it was the bread which Jesus broke and utilized in the Last Supper to his disciples. So we need both sustenance from food but also sustenance from God daily. And if you're listening and the word God may still trip you up, you can just replace that with the light, source, or the loving essence, or whatever works for you. But as a reference, Jesus, who was considered a great master and demonstrator of the loving essence, taught, and I'll quote, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, unquote. So I'm not here to tell you, of course, who to believe in or what to follow. That's not my point. That's just a personal choice for you, and I'm referencing some teachings that have stood the test of time and offer an insight into what could truly sustain us as souls walking through life. Spiritually speaking, both food that is true food and spiritual food is what we can rely on for strength. Daily bread in some sacred texts can be seen as emblematic of our discipline, our faithfulness, and of receiving God's supernatural provision. And so not all bread is alike. And that's how I came upon my guest today, Lisa McCulloch-Rourke, for this episode. I met her at a local farmer's market here in Los Angeles, and it was an education for me to say the least in all things bread. And as one who is gluten intolerant, I learned quickly and gratefully that I can eat wheat that is fermented the way our bread was originally intended and continues to be made by those integrous bakers such as her. We discuss such topics here as ancient grains and just what they are, the process of self-milling and storing wheat, the commercialization of bread, which changed so much in our food supply, and the increase in digestive diseases. And we break down unnecessary ingredients in many of our breads today that, in my opinion, are quite simply junk, not quite the sustainer's of health. So as always, I hope that this rich information serves you well and pass it on to someone else who could use it. Enjoy. My favorite baker on planet earth. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast so we can talk about all things bread. Wonderful. I'm happy to be here. 
Well, most people, especially they listen to my podcast, they might be wondering, why the heck am I doing a podcast on bread? And I might just rewind and go back in history a little bit. We can remind ourselves how bread represents life. Like if I want to go biblical, I think of the very common statement that we see or have read, give us this daily bread, give us, give us this daily bread, right? Yeah. And it's a famous line in the Lord's Prayer, which asked God to provide sustenance for his people. So as exactly. long back as we can remember, bread was considered quite a sustainer of life and still is. Ultimately. Well, it wasn't, you know, it was before it was you know, Frankensteined or changed the way we've done it now. Um, right. And so it was filled with nutrition. It was not empty calories. It was good for you. It was the way we were intended to eat bread. So off that, maybe that's a great segue to go into the history of bread, because as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, wheat is over 8,000 years old as a domesticated food. Is that right? It's around forever. That's how people are finding these ancient grains now, and they've replanted them. Um, so yeah, wheat's been around forever. Um, we know even from the Old Testament, right, that uh, they were waiting, they had to leave, they had to escape before their bread could rise. Right. So that's why there's the traditions in Judaism of eating, you know, unleavened bread. Right. Um, because they had, so, so we know from the earliest times that they were eating bread. And yeah. Can you explain just what that term is, ancient grains? Because I think that's something that's misunderstood or is certainly not um, familiar to maybe a lot of people. Well, the ancient grains are just grains that have been discovered in either pyramids or other like um, jars that were found in some kind of archaeological digs that were, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years old that have been replanted. And there's several different types out there, you might have heard of Kamut or Einkorn or some of these others that are out there. And because they haven't been subjected to all the toxins in the soil and in the air, they're more pure, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I was sick last week. So I cough a little bit when I'm, when I'm talking. Oh. I apologize. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so there's, that's part of it. And so you're able to digest it a little bit easier. Um, for us, it's really expensive and hard, hard to get your hands on it. So we're not, we're going to have an ancient grain loaf, but okay. some people do all their loaves from ancient grains only. If you soak your flour and ferment your bread, like we do, you don't have to do that. And we only use organic grains. So I don't have to worry about you know, so, some of the things that maybe people that are only concerned with eating ancient grains and they're like triple the cost. Right, so, right. right. Uh, like icorn, how is that not subjected to like the uh, air, like toxic air? Well, because those seeds, that's the beauty of wheat is okay. that when wheat is in the seed form, it's good forever if properly stored. Oh. Um so that's the beauty of it, right? So if you have wheat properly stored, it's good for 30 years, 50 years, 100 years. Now, if it's in a huge silo that's damp with molds, like that's not ideal. But if you've got, you know, a lot of people will maintain their own grains. Like if you keep them 
and you've got them in a mylar bag with an oxygen pack and um, all those things. And you've got it in a food safe bucket with an airtight seal. That grain's good forever. I mean, it's going to be good for a long, long time. And okay. And that's the beauty of self milling. I'm, I'm a huge advocate of people milling their own flour or buying fresh milled flour. That is the key to eating healthy bread because yeah. You mentioned that when um, we talked a little while ago, because you've educated me and this is one of the reasons I have you on the show is because I've learned so much about bread and also my life. I'm just, it's expanded so much because I used to be, I don't eat gluten. I'm gluten sensitive. Right. And I eat your bread and it's like, I feel like I have a light, my life back. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember and so many people have tell me that same exact story. We even have celiacs that are able to eat our bread. So it's, I've had people cry at the different markets and say, you cannot believe they haven't had bread in eight years or 10 years. And so, you know, it's, it's really about education. You know, people forget that we've got in wheat, there's B vitamins, vitamin E, minerals, healthy fats, fiber, um, protein, like all of, uh, you know, B vitamins, which are hard to, hard to get. So it's, um, it's important that we remember that grain is a really important food and it's really good for us. And a seed is one of the healthiest things you can eat. Can you explain to the listeners how bread and when bread became commercialized, poisonous, if you will, for lack of a better term, hybridized, food to not a true food. So basically it made, you know, all bread was technically sourdough. It was all fermented up to sometime around the time of World War II. Um, When commercial yeast was created, they basically took in, people don't maybe realize this, but in a strain of sourdough, there's two strains. There's the yeast, there's a strain of yeast in sourdough, and then there's the lactobacillus bacteria, a beneficial bacteria. When they created commercial yeast, they could only mimic or copy or dehydrate the strain of yeast. Obviously the living bacteria, they couldn't do that. That was more difficult. And if you don't have both, you have a problem. And that's what happens. So the yeast will allow the bread to rise, but it's not allowing it to be pre-digested by the live bacteria, which in nature, both things have to occur. Um, So it's not that commercial yeast is bad. It's just, it's bad by itself. There's three types of bread. You can do a yeasted bread, which isn't good for you. You can do a sourdough, straight sourdough bread, or you can do a yeasted sourdough. And where some people do like trace amounts of yeast along with their sourdough. And the reason for that is so, um, it's kind of a, an emergency parachute. If you're thinking that your sourdough starter is weak or it's not as active as you'd like it to be and you need to make bread with it, then having that little you know trace amount of uh, commercial yeast along with the sourdough is just kind of a little bit of a, an amplification, if you will, to just kind of make it so that you can be sure that your bread's going to turn out right. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. It's the exact same strain of yeast that's in your sourdough. Um, now, 
there are some rules like for us we do organic um breads only and there's this gets i don't want to get too far in the weeds with this but instant yeast sometimes includes uh preservatives so you wouldn't want to use that you would want to use an active dry yeast and you want to be careful about what type of active dry if you want to make sure that your loaf is still considered organic so there's yeah so eating bread technically like that shelved bread that's been sitting there for a while even though it says organic that's a completely different chemical breakdown and that's right you're not getting any you're not getting the the lactobacilli for one is that right right. and so you're not getting the enzymes to basically break down the bread if you have any issue with any problem. And then the other big key is um, there's no rules governing sourdough. So you can go buy sourdough from, you know, somebody over here and they are fermenting their bread for one hour. Wow. And then they're making it where somebody else, you know, in Europe, you typically find that they're fermenting from three to five days. That's what we do. We call it European style long fermentation. And that's typically three days or longer. Um, the medical studies that are out there that show that there's no inflammation when you eat bread, they show that it's 72 hours or three days or longer. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. That kind of takes me to the next question is like for someone who is gluten sensitive, which is so many people in growing, why can they, someone like myself, where I would get a horrible migraine if I had like straight up gluten. Um, I can have your bread. I can go to a pizza place that ferments their dough. You have pizza uh, dough. Yes. And it's like, I have no reaction. Not only that, I feel better. And I look at the gluten-free bread I was having that has the guar gum and all these fillers. And I go, oh yeah, that's just muddying up the gears anyway. Right. That's not even right. Well, and that's what's so sad that people don't realize that to, to have a gluten-free bread, that's really not, that's not natural. You yeah. actually need the gluten matrix to create bread. And so when you're making something without any gluten and you want it to stick together, you have to add all this junk in for it to, to stick together. Um, and it's just, by the time you look and see what all they have to include, it's like, no, thank you. And, right. and the flavor is so, and the flavor and the consistency and the texture is so far from what you really want, like just, just get a good fresh milled organic and all those things matter. Um, organic, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that we eliminate or don't have, you know, these, uh, glycophosphates in our bread. And we know that wheat commercial wheat that's out there is, is one of the main crops that has roundup in it. Mm-hmm. So you want to know that what you're buying is, um, organic grains hmm You know, all those things are important. So people that have gluten sensitivity or celiac, they can eat old world style fermented, at least three day fermented. That's sort of the general rule. Yes. Um, bread, because it burns out, it breaks down, what, 95%, 99% of the gluten? Well, well, I've actually had people eat our bread that have had their inflammation markers tested and there was zero. So, um, 
you know, we can't, I always tell people because we can't guarantee mm-hmm. um, that somebody was that with celiac would be able to eat our bread. It's something they have to try and talk to their health healthcare practitioner. But I think that what happens with most people, it's kind of like when my husband was pre-diabetic, his doctor just said, here's a list of all the no's, all the things you can't have. Yeah. Um, so he's been eating our bread only. He's no longer pre-diabetic. Um, he, he's actually reversed it because our bread is high fiber, high protein, because we're milling the entire wheat uh, kernel. So he's no longer pre-diabetic because of that. So um, you want that length of time, that time to go by, because if you're fermenting something for an hour or three days, think of that. So you want that lactobacillus bacteria. You want to push the fermentation so far that you're baking it at the last possible minute before that bread would no longer rise. They call it oven spring when you put it in the oven and it does that last um, where it, you know, springs up and turns into a loaf. Yeah. And so there's, there's different ways to test. So, you know, when exactly to put your bread in the oven, we actually teach classes at our bakery and we, we show people, but I can also tell you here how to do that. And um, so that, you know, that you'll hear words like my bread's overproofed or underproofed or whatever. And so you, you just want to push that fermentation as long as you can without it being overproofed. Um, because so, uh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. I was just thinking it's sort of a silly question. How do you ferment? Like, I don't have a clue. Well, fermentation just means the lactobacillus bacteria is eating the gluten that's in the bread. It's just, it's pre-digesting it. It's eating it. It's breaking it down. It's converting it. So if you allow that process to happen for an hour versus three days, you see the difference. I'm just thinking I, I pulled out some uh, hot dog buns here randomly from my freezer. And uh, we, I don't even know why they're in my freezer, quite frankly, Lisa, because they should be <laughs> in the garbage. And uh, ne- ever since I met you, everything's sourdough in my house. But nonetheless, I just want to go through these ingredients with you because yeah. I thank God the things we grew up on, I mean, I know I grew up on a good amount of Wonder Bread, and that's just garbage. Like, what the heck right. was I suggesting in my most critical years of growth and development? That's <laughs> right. Exactly. Same. I mean, it's same. And our parents didn't know any better. Like, they, they're just like, wow, this is wonderful. Sliced bread, easy to make a sandwich. Um, not realizing that, because, you know, they had trust. You think that the Food and Drug Administration has your back, that they wouldn't sell something that they know is toxic. Exactly. But, but they do. Yes. It's like people listening might go, well, who would let that out loose in the public? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know. But when you find out that in the typical grocery stores, you can't get your product in unless it has a six-month shelf life. What? Yes, you cannot get your product in a grocery store unless it has a six month shelf life. And that I'm talking about the birthday cakes that you buy at a Ralph's or any Albertsons, any of those places, the bread, all of it has to have a six month shelf life. So if you buy it, hamburger buns, hot dog buns, whatever, and you leave it on your counter, it will remain unchanged for months. Um, that is a that means. 
and why we all have people younger, younger, younger getting cancer. That is why, because what we're eating, we're not supposed to be eating. We're like loaded with preservatives and chemicals that are not digestible foods. Uh, hold that hot dog bun uh, conversation for a second. Off of what you just shared, when we were talking at the farmer's market one time, we were I was going through some of the ingredients in my gluten-free breads. Yeah. And, like guar gum and oh, yeah. locust bean and, um, God, all these gums. I can't even remember. And it's like someone I was somewhere I was reading that they were saying that's not not even fit for human consumption because no, it isn't. It was it was a it was a sludge. Some of those gums were a sludge that was created. Um, it was like a byproduct of bad bacteria, and they were able to take that sludge and use it and put it in like every ice cream because yes. it keeps things from separating. It's disgusting. And when I was first on my baking journey and somebody told me, oh, you need to add that or you need to do that because I was experimenting with all whole grains. I'm like, well, and they, and I didn't know any better in the beginning and it was falling apart, crumbling. And somebody said I needed to buy these gums. And I tried it one time only at the very beginning, became extremely physically sick. Um, I just made biscuits. I made biscuits and I put this, you know, whatever it required a tablespoon or whatever of this horrible stuff. Never again. It was, and I thought, no, absolutely not. Like if it, I should be able to make bread like they used to and good bread should have flour, water, salt. That's it. That's all you need. And then an enriched dough is something that usually has like a brioche bun or will have something to sweeten it a little bit of fat. It can be olive oil. It can be um, molasses. It doesn't have to be sugar. Okay. Got it. And in carrageen, is that pronounced correctly? Carrageen. Is that a gum? What is that? Is that I, think, I think so. Yeah. Wild. So here, back to the hot dogs. This is from a very well-known grocery store brand that likes to say it's um, really rests its laurels on organic food and, um, real food. You can mm -hmm. another word for that. Um, here we go. Organic enriched wheat flour. And then in parentheses, n organic wheat flour, niacin, reduced iron, thiamine, mon mono mononitrate, riboflavin, folic acid. Then we got water organic cane sugar, organic expressed, ex organic expeller pressed soybean oil. Oh, wow. Uh, yeast, vital wheat gluten, sea salt, absorbic acid, and then it has in parentheses dough conditioner, mm -hmm. organic distilled white vinegar, organic mm -hmm. cultured wheat flour, microbial enzymes. Now, the one thing that stands out to me uh, among some of this junk, which not, might not seem like so bad compared to uh, the Wonder Breads of the world, but uh, abs absorbic acid, I was told, is a mold, like a citric acid. Is that right? I do not know, but I know that any time that you put conditioners, well, this is really interesting. 
people ask me a lot of times why we don't sell sliced bread. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because if you slice your bread, um, it dries it out too soon. And you don't want to do that. You want to only slice as you're eating the bread. That's how all European bakeries do it. Um, and people that are selling sliced bread in a plastic bag have to put conditioners in it. They have to, because the bread would get dried too soon. So if you think, oh, easy, this bakery down the street is slicing my bread. If the bread isn't dry in two days, there's something in the dough that shouldn't be there. And I tell people, I tell people all the time, if your bread doesn't change, don't eat it. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, in Europe, they're way ahead of us on this. They know to buy their bread fresh two or three times a week or once a week, whatever their consumption is from the local bakery. They don't expect it to last a long time because that means it's toxic. Right. Now, if you go to France, like French bread, like the baguettes, that's not sourdough, right? No, typically a French baguette is made with yeast. And it's really funny when we started doing our sourdough baguettes, actually had a chef early on say, this is not a French baguette. You have to use yeast. Well, the reason why they do that is because yeast versus sourdough, sourdough doesn't have quite as, as much of a thin and crackly crust. You have a little bit of a thicker crust with sourdough. But the funny thing is in France and everywhere else before World War II, there was no yeast. So they were all sourdough. For somebody to tell me that it wasn't a French baguette because it didn't have yeast, it had sourdough instead. They don't know what they're talking about. What they mean is it's not the way modern French bakers are doing it. Modern French bakers are using commercial yeast. Wow. So before World War II, everything was sourdough and then they changed it. Why? Because they want- Ease of of use. It's just, it's easier, it's faster. Okay. It's kind of like a GMO situation, okay. That's right. I have a French customer who goes back and forth. He's actually in the food industry in Paris, France, and he buys our bread when he's in town. And he said that I should go to Paris and start doing my bread there because they've become so Americanized. Mm. You have to go out of the city center now to get good bread. Wow. That they're, they're now doing the cheap, fast bread or shipping in frozen dough and baking that off. People don't know. They think, oh, it's Parisian bread. I hear so many stories, and myself included, like if I go to Italy, nine times out of ten, I'm pretty good with the bread there. They seem to be on top of it. Well, it's two things. They're way ahead of us as far as organic and not spraying their crops to death and things like that. They're ahead of us on that. They're more aware of it. They care more, I think. and they're way ahead as far as fermentation goes. They know that that's where the flavor is and that's where the, how, how you're supposed to eat bread. Mm. If you, it's n- nothing to be proud of to say that you're making, making and baking bread in the same day. That should never happen. Yeah, that's a great point. It, it, do they have like more stringent laws to not spray their food? So there's uh, than America. I don't know about that. I just know that they have, they care more. They care more about the, about the quality versus just pumping out thousands of loaves for, you know, unfortunately here in America, we're really good at coming up with large businesses and churning out, you know, 
these, you know, the were great at the industrial factory style, large batches of whatever it is, bread included. Um, but unfortunately, quality and health go by the wayside. For sure. Yeah. Do you think there's a correlation? I mean, this kind of sounds like an obvious, but just I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think there's a correlation between the increase in disease or digestive disorders that have just exploded, the Crohn's, the inflammatory IBS, all that gluten intolerance, and the commercialization of bread? Can you see a correlation? Uh, for sure. Of course. Yeah, obviously. Because even when I was young, you didn't hear about people being allergic to bread or allergic to gluten. Um, that's just because it's just more and more and more. So that's just how, how industry has changed the foods that we're eating so that it's really not even food. The body doesn't even register it as food anymore. Right. You grew up or your, your relatives were Amish. Is that right? Similar. Yeah. A branch of the Amish. Um, but yeah, so they made everything homemade. Um, a lot of them did fresh milling. And as an adult, I'm also a foodie. I love good food. I love baked goods. And I would tend to being in high stress, kind of fi in the financial world, I would love to find different places at lunch or a bakery here on the corner and try that. But I just became so jaded. I ate out a lot, would treat myself a lot. That would be my reward for having a stressful day or a stressful night. Yeah. And I just, but I also knew I'd worked for a holistic doctor for years and I knew a lot about nutrition and I happened to be working there when my dad, <clears throat> excuse me, was diagnosed with cancer. And then my younger brother was diagnosed with cancer years later and he was only in his twenties. And all of that was really important to me. That knowledge that I gained also just the fact that I love good food. My dad was a foodie. Um, he was an airline pilot, so he ate good food all around the world. The important thing about that is I wanted to kind of put me on this thing of how can I enjoy, I wanted to be able to eat bread or eat a baked good and not feel terrible about it. So I just started digging into the research of it because I knew that making bread homemade would be better. And I went down a path of like, well, people say that if you're making whole wheat bread, that you have to add something called vital wheat gluten. Why? Why would you have to add anything? That's right. completely wrong, by the way. You should not have to add anything. It's just flour, water, salt. It doesn't matter if you're, because I was told it early on that you have to add vital wheat gluten or you can't get bread to stick together if you use too many whole grains. Not true. Not true at all. I mean, our ancestors, I imagine, never used vital wheat gluten. I don't even think no, they, they didn't have it. It didn't exist. What is vital wheat gluten anyway? I don't even know. I don't think it's so vital. So what is it? No, it isn't vital at all. It's adding more gluten, unnecessary gluten to something that so, so that because gluten is what makes bread stretch. Right. So if you think of a pizza dough that you can just stretch really big, that's what makes bread rise. So if you've got a flat bread, it doesn't matter. But if you want to, if you want a whole wheat loaf to rise, you need it to have gluten. The problem is that whole grain acts like little shards of glass that cut those stretchy rubber bands that are the gluten. So when you add water to flour, the gluten starts to become this nice, wonderful, stretchy, long thing. Um, but with whole grain, whole grain then cuts those strands 
and makes it where the bread doesn't rise as much. And I tell people that all the time too. If you see a big, beautiful loaf, it's probably white flour, don't eat it. A smaller, more dense loaf means whole grain, means healthy, means flavor. Mm. So um, don't be fooled by something, just like they say, you know, an organic piece of fruit versus a conventional piece of fruit. The organic one may be smaller, not as pretty, but the flavor's incredible. The flavor's there, the nutrition is there. That's the same with bread. Can you make, when I think of, there are four, four different types of, is that great, right? Four different types of grains, hard red, hard white, soft white, and durum. Well, there's, there's more than that. There's okay. spelt, there's all sorts of, of fun things. Okay. Hard red is where the flavor comes from. There's also um, a grain type called hard white. It's just, a, it's um, another organic type of grain. It's just not as um, bitter for some people. It doesn't have that bitter taste that some people are expecting. Okay. Um, so there's hard red, hard white. There's durum, which is used for pasta. Um, it has kind of a yellowish color. Um, there's a lot of other grains out there too that you can use. And of course, rye. There's rye. I don't even know if this question makes sense, but can you make a um, gluten, like can you make a, a healthy grain durum pasta that's fermented? Oh yeah, for sure. And we're going to be doing that. You'll see that at our market soon. Oh. We've, we've just been waiting for um, a piece of equipment called the dough sheeter so that we can roll out a lot of it without having to hand roll it. Cause that's would become too, too costly to do. But. So does that explain when people go to Italy again <laughs> and they go, God, I, I, I don't bloat when I eat their pasta. Are they fermenting their durum? It could be, or it's just that their durum is a good quality, you know, that, or maybe they're soaking it or maybe they're doing whatever, but but for us, what we do, we only do fermented whatever it is, whether it's crackers or bagels or chocolate muffins, banana muffins, we're fermenting all of it. Even our tortillas are fermented. What's and up? so, and we'll be doing fermented uh, sourdough cookies soon too. We'll have a couple of different choices for that. Yeah. Um, because that all it is, is that you make it ahead and then you refrigerate it. That's basically the refrigerating is like a, a slow down proofing. You let it proof on the counter for a little while, then you put it in the refrigerator to slow it down. Usually you let it proof overnight in the fridge it's called cold proofing um, or retarding. That's also another word that's used. And whether it's pastas, pasta dough, cookie dough, pie dough, whatever it is, that's just what you do. So then we go back to the shelf life. The reason they don't sell this is because if your that wouldn't last on a shelf if you did no um, okay that's right it wouldn't last on the shelf and they would lose too much money although i disagree i think people want good flavor they want healthy stuff they just don't know where to get it they yeah. don't know where to get it they don't know how to make it you know it's it's a lost art it's been interesting because we were doing this before the pandemic and so then when sourdough became a thing because yeast couldn't be found and the shelves were empty Everybody was like, wow, nobody knows how to make bread anymore. This is crazy. So when I get icorn pasta, which is something I can do, and I'm like, wow, let's just experiment. And that's yeah. like on the shelf, 
it, that's is that fermented or that's just an ancient grain that has a lower they've they've just air they've just air dried it so there's there's a difference in pasta there's dried pasta and there's fresh pasta okay. fresh pasta a lot of times has eggs in it so right. it has to be frozen or or eaten fresh and then dried pasta is usually just water and salt and then it's dried okay so that that's not fermented per se it's just the nature of the grain right right okay. exactly Exactly. Because einkorn is one of those ancient wheats that um, has less, less of the things that have happened to it over time that have made more and more people have issues to it. So it's just more pure. It hasn't been, it hasn't been contaminated, I guess, over the hundreds of years or thousands of years of pollution in water, pollution in soil, things happening. Of course, they're taking that wheat and they're planting it in soil and watering it with you know, but it hasn't gone through the evolution because all seeds, animals, people, we evolve over time in, in the certain environment because it was kept pristine in these ancient jars or pyramids or wherever they were discovered. It was kept pure in the seed form. So it was able to kind of fast forward. It was able to skip all those years and then be planted now and still retain some of that purity. So the, uh... I think I'm following you. Just the einkorn that I'm eating, that is a literally an ancient grain that's been around forever. It is. Thousands of years, unchanged. Yes, that's okay. right. Okay. But that's because it we didn't it wasn't growing anywhere and somebody found it. It was discovered and then those seeds were replanted. Okay. Yeah. That's what that's the, those ancient grains that have been found are all, you know, seeds that have been discovered in some ancient pot in an architectural dig or whatever. I just look at that as like diamonds on planet Earth that eventually right. if we don't take care of them that we you know we lose them and That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Gold. <clears throat> wow. And did you men and you mentioned soft white, right? You as yeah. one of the grains we're talking about Soft white is what you use. That's a low protein flour. That's what, you, and that's, I was going to talk to you about the different protein counts and the different types of bread. Um, the hard red has a higher protein count. That's what you want to use for bread and pizza and things like that. Um, you want to use soft white for biscuits, pancakes, waffles, cake. And if you want to have a pastry flour, you would use soft white and then you would sift it. You would sift out all the healthy, nutritious stuff just to make it really fine and light. And then you would make a cake from that. That's how you do that. How do you uh, know that there's no mold in the flour when you mill it? How do you prevent that? And do you keep it, I guess you have to refrigerate it right away because it's freshly milled. Well, right? well, yeah, because so we, we technically you want to mill and use that flour within 48 hours from milling. Okay. So we're milling constantly because as we mill, we're using it. So it's completely fresh milled right before we use it. Okay. If you're at home and you're milling flour, you can have it. You can put it in the refrigerator for two weeks. You can put it in the freezer for 30 days. Um, I've actually used some that was in my, in the freezer longer than that and yeah. seemed fine to me. I didn't have any kind of reaction. It didn't taste bad, but the whole reason why is because there's vitamin E, there's fat in the seed. And when you mill that, they strip all that out when they're making it shelf stable. But when you're fresh milling, you've got that, that vitamin E, that fat that can actually go rancid. So 
So you have to use it within a certain amount of time. So if you have your own countertop mill, then you just mill as you need it. It only takes, it only takes a few minutes, maybe 30 minutes at best to mill everything that you need for a week. Okay. So now I'm totally a newbie and I can't wait to take a class with you on making bread. But since I have you here and people are, yes. looking, can you explain how to do like a sourdough starter? If someone yes, wanted- yes, I can. So people say all these crazy things. You only need two things. You need flour and you need water. That's it. Awesome. And, but, but of those two things, the flour should be fresh milled organic flour, or if you can't get fresh milled, then at least organic flour from somewhere. Um, and then filtered water because your tap water has chlorine in it and that will kill good bacteria. Mm. So, and the lactobacillus bacteria is a beneficial bacteria. It is a bacteria. So you have to be careful too, that when you, whatever container you're going to put your sourdough starter in, that there's no soap residue because we all have antibacterial soaps. If there's antibacterial soap on your hand or in your fingernails and you mix a dough with that, you can kill your dough with antibacterial soaps. So you have to be really careful when you're making bread to just really, really rinse your hands and not overdo it with antibacterial soaps. Be really, really careful. Just rinse everything like crazy. And, um, okay. Yeah. That's really good to know. So um, you have your flour, you have your clean water. That's right. And then, so you want to start with something small because you have to keep feeding this and it will grow and grow and grow. And you, and you have to discard, you have to feed and discard. You don't want to have a lot of waste. So you start with something really small, like a fourth of a cup of flour and a fourth of a cup of water. The nice thing is, is it's easy to remember because the flour and water are always going to be the same by weight not by a half a cup and a half a cup, more like by a hundred grams versus a hundred grams because it's by weight. So if, um, and the ratio is um, one to two to two. So um, let me try to explain. If you have a glass jar, like a water bottle starter, you have to discard down to about an inch and then refeed hundred grams of flour, hundred grams of water, let that get all bubbly and don't be afraid of putting your hands in it. Um, the lactobacillus bacteria that goes into our sourdough, it's in the air. It's also on your hands. So don't be afraid to put your hands. It's actually really good to have your hands in the dough. You can feel that amazing energy from good organic dough. It's so therapeutic, but it's also um, that lactobacillus bacteria that's on our hands goes into the dough and helps inoculate it. So that's a really positive thing too. Mm, that's, that's great. It, just people listening and they think, oh, you know, cookies make me unhealthy. Uh, bread makes me fat. Like bread, when it's healthy, is a, is a healthy food. Like you can't, hurt your body by eating clean bread. Would you agree? Right. I totally agree. So people don't realize that bread should be high fiber, high protein, not empty calories. When you eat a piece, you're full. You can't overeat it because if you're eating good bread, 
it's hard to eat two slices because you're so full. Um, it's, it's not something like we're used to this white bread, empty calories. You can eat it, eat it, eat it, never feel full. This is not that good, healthy bread will never be like that. The same with pasta, the same with any of it. You eat a bowl of healthy whole grain pasta that's been fermented. You can, you can't eat as delicious as it is. You can't get more. You're so full, like you're good. And your body doesn't need more. You don't crave more because it has everything in it that you need. That's a great distinction. Wow, Lisa, have we covered everything? Is there anything else that we need to tell peeps <laughs> about bread? Well, there may be there may be questions. I can always come back for a part two, whatever you think. Yeah, guys, if you have any questions for Lisa about bread, send me uh, a note at alchemyofmastery.com. You can go to my website. You can also go to, is it admin at Topanga Canyon? Brett? Topanga Grain, topangagraincompany.com. Admin at topangagraincompany.com. And I'm going to have all your info regardless in the show notes, as well as maybe putting up the instructions on how to do sourdough. So people can- Yes. Yeah. And I can always, you know, come back and- um, even make a starter where people can see what, however you, however you want to do that. It's really I nice. Love that. The yes. third part I was going to say about starters is that they need air. So just like a person, it needs food, water, air. Um, so typically when you're making a starter, you usually cover it with a coffee filter or a cloth so that it can get air at the same time. And then you put a lid on it after it's gotten bubbly and active, then you can cover it and put it in the fridge after that. Like a cheesecloth? Mm-hmm. Cheesecloth is perfect. Coffee filters work well. Okay. Paper towels in some cases. Although you have to be careful because some paper towels have antibacterial stuff inside. Right. So you want to be careful with that. Yeah. And I think paper towels just have like chlorine on them as well or some. That's right. Yeah. Something that's not great because I've noticed if I can't find a coffee filter and I use a paper towel that usually then the, the top of my jar will not be good after I've used a paper towel. So there's something going on with those. Wow. It's like the intelligence of nature. It is so intelligent. It's so delicate that when you throw some fire on it, like a chemical that's yes. abolished the whole natural growth process. Well, and, and unfortunately, even, you know, we talk about this a lot in my, at my bakery, the health department, you know, they have to come in and they have to make sure that my apologies, that people are, you know, not spreading germs and things like that, but they haven't caught up to, they're so into just making everything um, germ free, I guess, but they, but they don't understand that good bacteria is killed by bleach and whatever harmful chemicals that they want you to use in a commercial bakery space. I've had to go round and round with that about um, because they have all these specific rules about how you have to bleach your stuff and let it air dry. Then there's residual bleach in there. If you try to make a dough, it's not going to work. Um, it's not ideal for that. So it's just, it's just interesting how, especially with the pandemic, people are so into antibacterial everything yeah. that we can't kill. I mean, sourdough is a good beneficial bacteria, just like we have good beneficial bacteria on our skin. And if we're constantly killing that, 
we're making ourselves weak. We're opening ourselves up to the bad bacteria because we have zero good bacteria. For, for sure. How do you deal with that with the health department when they say you've got to like bleach your space? What do you, what do you well, do? so, well, so that's the thing. Well, and they, you know, so many bakeries and restaurants use these crazy, horrible chemicals because we're going through organic certification. We don't have that. We, we use bleach as the bleaching, so as the uh, sanitation ingredient, but we have, they want you to bleach and then let it air dry. And it's supposed to dissipate over time. But if you're constantly having to wash and reuse things, we have to go back after it dries and then rinse it before we can rinse it and dry it so that we can use it. It's just a step that's kind of annoying when, you know, you should be able to, like, I understand if you're dealing with like meats or eggs or something like that, but you should be able to do something different for bread. They just don't have, they just don't have the information needed to, it would be nice if they could do something different for people that are sourdough bread makers, you know, because it's just, there's no laws to accommodate that. I think just spiritually ignorance is the greatest block to our spiritual growth. And boy, we got some ignorance going on there as it relates. And and it goes to people that are trying to make a starter at home and they'll, they'll call me or talk to me about, Oh, my starter didn't work. And when we talk about it, I'll find out either they didn't, um, use a Brita or or something to filter their water. Cause you can just get a Brita and filter your water and use good, you know, filtered water, or it could be just as simple as they are taking their starter out and rewashing the jar every week. So Uh there's going to be residual soap in there. Don't do that. Your starter jar is going to love it. If you just leave it alone, leave it in the same jar. You don't have to take it out and clean that jar and put it back in. That's not the way the world worked hundreds of years ago. And it's almost like we are, we become such clean freaks that we do ourselves a disservice on that. This good bacteria just needs a pleasant place to live without any soap chemicals or residues inside, inside the container. So yeah, there's that. This is just like this total side note going kind of off-roading for a second, but it will all make sense. I think of a friend of mine who was doing a lot of, um, like antibacterial stuff for her mouth and ozone, which I've talked about with my, my dentist on the show in the past. And it's amazing. Like ozone's a great killer, Mm -hmm. but you can even overdo that in your mouth and her bacteria got even worse. Her bacterial levels when she tested it because she wasn't replenishing with the lactobacilli with all these beneficial bacterias that we need in the oral cap in the, in, in our mouth, yeah, you know, that's right. And, uh, and so it's just more to your point that we, we need the good bugs mm-hmm. to sustain good health. And when that's we right. get out, it's like, well, you know, good luck to you. Right. <laughs> and you, right. And you can see what happens, right? Over time, it's just, yeah. So we just have to realize that, you know, good bacteria is just as important as, you know, anything else. Like when, as we're getting our nutrients that we make sure that we're not just killing our food to death. Hmm. You know? Good bacteria is God's bacteria. You heard it first on the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. 
Thank you, Lisa, for educating me so much on this path of bread, this great sustainer of life. And I hope everyone listening has learned a lot more than they did know an hour ago. And, uh, and I, uh, I just really encourage everyone, if you live in Los Angeles, to come see you at the Topanga Grain Company. Again, I'll have your information in the show notes or go see you at one of your farmer's markets. Do you want to give a shout out where you are? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So we at Sunday on Sundays, we're at Malibu Farmer's Market, Pacific Palisades Farmer's Market, Brentwood Farmer's Market. Saturdays, we're at La Cunata Flint Ridge Market, Calabasas, Marina Del Rey. Tuesdays, we're at Sherman Oaks, Manhattan Beach. And Wednesdays, we're doing a little new market at Warner Center and Woodland Hills and the Oaks in Calabasas. Um, and we're hoping to be yet some more. So somewhere near you very soon, we hope. And I love your idea. I'm going to have to just uh, digest that awesome idea of having you on and doing a virtual of us making some sourdough starter. That would be great. Yeah. Sourdough starter, even you know, showing people how to hand mix a, a small batch is really easy. Um, yeah. A lot of fun. Cool. Or you can come awesome. take a class. <laughs> yes. 100%. Oh, you'll see me there with my <laughs> getting dirty with all the bacteria on our food. <laughs> bleach necessary. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.